Welcome to Murder Bucket, the podcast where I dive deep into murders, paranormal activity, abductions, kidnappings, and weird stuff. I'm your host, Hannah. Let's see what I'm going to pull out of the bucket this week. If you are searching for a podcast about crime relating to actual life events of military personnel, veterans, family members, and those associated with the military in any way, then have I got the podcast for you. Check out Military True Crime Addict Podcast, where the host will be exploring a plethora of actual true crime stories that have not been reported by any news outlet or media. Stories that upon hearing, you will be astounded by. History should have been told and reported on long ago. There will be detailed stories that touch on topics such as assault, harassment, sexual preference, abuse of power, PTSD, murder, hazing, rape, and all stories that in some way relate to our military, veterans, and their extended family. The hosts provide the voice of the victims and they hear their side of the story. They also raise awareness of the heinous crimes and those most impacted. You don't need to know anything about the military to enjoy this podcast. Listeners can hear true crime stories with the specifics of what occurred. You can check them out on Google Podcasts and Spotify. They are the Military True Crime Addict Podcast. Hey! It's Tuesday, and that means our fifth and sixth stop on the cold case road trip. Tonight, we will be traveling to Wyoming and Pennsylvania. But first, let's go ahead and do our weekend slash week recap. On Saturday, I got to go have manis and petties with one of my very best friends, Lauren. We went to Dick's Sporting Goods so that I could return some shoes Then we traveled over to Hobby Lobby and kind of wandered around, got a couple of things for spring. Thank goodness it's spring. I am so ready to wear the sandals. Then we got lunch, but on the way back to the house, I ended up throwing up in an empty Panera bag. Not sure what happened. So the rest of the day, I ended up just kind of sleeping it off. No big deal. Next morning, completely fine. Sunday, went to church. Then we went over to one of our local malls because this upcoming Friday is my 31st birthday. Woohoo! Yay! But my husband wanted to take me to the mall to pick out some new shoes. So I got a couple pairs of Vans, some Van socks, and just kind of hung out, walked around, got some food, you know, that good thing. Monday, nothing too interesting happened. A few friends came over to the house. Just kind of, you know, watched some Grey's Anatomy. It's what I do. Then today, it was just normal work. But my husband and I had to take our oldest cat, Baby Kitty, who is 12, to the vet. Because she's started to lose a lot of weight. And for some reason, she's been throwing up at least once a day. So the vet thinks that maybe she has an overactive thyroid, not sure, $200 later, had to do some blood work. So once the blood work comes back, maybe we'll know what's wrong with her and hopefully it can just be an easy fix, but that's okay. Let's see what you guys got up to.
on Instagram, History at Max said they got to spend a lovely weekend with their boyfriend and he made so much tea. I like tea, kind of, like really fruity tea with lots of sugar and honey in it, but that's okay. I'm really glad you got to spend time with your boyfriend. That's awesome. Looks like Mila243 said that it poured all weekend where she lives, but they got to take advantage of the break in the rain and go to a nearby park. That sounds like so much fun. I cannot wait until my daughter is old enough to enjoy going to the park. Looks like Calamity and a coffee podcast spent a lot of time cleaning. I'm really happy for you. I am not super into cleaning. I mean, I will clean, but not if I really don't have to. Heading over to Twitter, it looks like Myths Behind Legends got to record and edit a brand new episode. That is definitely a high point. I am so very proud of you. I know that for me, recording and editing a new episode is a little hard, but I mean, you got to do it sometimes. Let's see. Straight Up Evil Podcast said the good thing this week was they got to go eat ice cream with her husband and her oldest son from a local place that had just opened for the season. Can't wait for all the local snow cone and ice cream places to open. But I don't see how this is really bad. They say that because they spent so much time with their family outside that no research got done for their week's podcast. But you know what? Sometimes you just got to push that to the side because family does come first. Let's see, Velvetina Rose Cookie. First off, I really love your name. She said, good thing was they made yogurt cake, but the bad thing is other recipes that they tried out this week did not turn out as expected. I do have to say that that yogurt cake sounds really good and I might need you to send me the link to the recipe. Please? Thank you. I appreciate all of you that have sent me what was the good and bad thing of your week. And I appreciate the fact that you allow me to share it here on this podcast. Because like I said at the beginning of Cold Case Road Trip, I want to get to know you. And I really want you to get to know me. Because, well, we do spend at least 20 to 25 minutes together. If you don't like this segment of the podcast, just let me know. Or you can just skip it. If you want to, no big deal if you do. No hard feelings. Moving right along, let's go ahead and grab our snacks and proceed with tonight's episode. Stop number five, Wyoming. Amy Joy Rowe Bechtel went missing at the age of 24 while out for a jog on July 24, 1997 in Wind River Mountains, about 15 miles southwest of Lander, Wyoming. Amy was the youngest of four siblings and grew up in Jackson. She graduated from the University of Wyoming in 1995 with a degree in exercise physiology. Steve and Amy met during college in 1991 and got married in 1996. They moved to Lander in January of 1996 and bought a house just three days before her disappearance. Amy told her husband Steve that morning that she was going to run errands in town after teaching a children's weightlifting class. At around 2.30 p.m., she stopped at Camera Connection, then went to Gallery 331, where she spoke with Greg Wagner, who was a propeteer at the time. 
Greg told investigators later that Amy seemed hurried and glanced at her watch several times during their conversation. The stop at Gallery 331 and the conversation with Greg was the last confirmed sighting of Amy. It's believed that she drove to the Sushan National Forest to do a practice run for an upcoming 10K that she had signed up for. When her husband Steve returned home around 4.30 that afternoon, he found his wife absent. In an article I read, it says that he visited the neighbors because he was worried that she had still not returned home. It also said that they all drove along several roads that they thought she might be jogging on. At around 10.30 p.m., he called the local police department to report her missing. At 1 a.m. on July 25, 1997, while driving on a loop road for over an hour, her white Toyota station wagon was found parked on a turnout. Inside the vehicle were her keys, sunglasses, and her to-do list for the day. Her wallet was missing. There was no sign of a struggle. The area was searched, but no trace of her was found. Law enforcement started an extensive search at around 3 a.m. on July 25, 1997. Joined in this search was Steve and about two dozen of their friends. Three days into the search, there were now over 100 volunteers scouring a 30-mile radius to try and find any clues. They searched on ATVs, dirt bikes, horses, and from helicopters. Dogs were also brought in to try and pick up on Amy's scent. Police listed Steve as a suspect almost immediately. During the initial investigation, he refused to cooperate with the police and declined to take a polygraph test. While searching his home for evidence, they found his personal journals were filled with song lyrics and poems that described violence towards women, specifically his wife. They outlined his need for dominance and control. On August 1, 1997, police interrogated Steve. They told him that they had evidence proving that he had murdered his wife and that they found and read his journals. Immediately after, he terminated that interview. He later claimed that the journals were written for his ban and had nothing to do with his wife's disappearance. His lawyer advised him to stop cooperating. This was the only time that he was ever interviewed by the police. Steve maintains his innocence to this day. In late August of 1997, the FBI got satellite photos from NASA of the area where Amy had disappeared, but they provided no clues. In January of 1998, the FBI also obtained satellite images from a Russian space station, but those also provided no clues. By 1998, local police did not believe Steve was the main suspect anymore, even though they were unable to clear him of suspicion due to his lack of cooperation. On February 3, 1998, Steve appeared on the Geraldo Riviera show with Amy's sisters. During the interview, the sisters pleaded with him to provide information in her disappearance, but he denied any involvement. Her case was profiled in both People magazine and Outside in 1998, as well as the TV series Unsolved Mysteries. In 2003, a Timex Iron Man watch was discovered by a hiker near the Popo Aggie River and was turned into the police. Police noted that it was similar to the watch that Amy owned at the time of her disappearance, 
but they have been unable to determine if in fact it belonged to her. Even though Amy's body has never been located, Steve had her declared legally dead in 2004. In that same year, he got remarried and he still lives in the house that he and Amy purchased just three days before her disappearance. There was a tip called in to investigators on this case from the brother of a convicted murderer, Dale Wayne Eaton. He claims that his brother was in the area at the time of Amy's disappearance. He is believed to be the so-called Great Basin Killer. The serial killer that police believe is responsible for the murders of at least nine women in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and Nevada. Dale refuses to discuss Amy's disappearance and has never been charged in any other case besides one. Sergeant Roger Rizzo has since become the lead investigator in the case, and in a 2007 interview with the Billings Gazette, he said that although Amy is still listed as a missing person, he believes she is dead. He stated, I believe it was a homicide, and I believe what happened to her happened on the day that she disappeared. In my mind, there is only one person that I want to talk to, only one person who refused to talk to law enforcement, and that's her husband. If a man's wife disappears mysteriously, you don't clam up. You don't refuse to cooperate with the cops. In 2013, her case was profiled on the series Disappeared. It was also the subject of an extensive article featured in Runner's World in 2016. Her case is currently classified as endangered and missing. Her case remains unsolved. At the time of her disappearance, Amy was last seen wearing a yellow tank top, black shorts, Adidas Trail Response running shoes, a Timex Ironman triathlon watch, and a small double band wedding ring. She was five foot six and weighed roughly 110 pounds. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Amy Betchell, please contact the Fremont County Sheriff's Office or call Crime Stoppers. Our next stop takes us to Pennsylvania. I apologize if I mispronounce this name. Hyun Jung Song, known to most as Cindy Song, was born on February 25, 1980 in South Korea. When she was 15 years old, she moved to Springfield, Virginia to live with her aunt and uncle to attend high school. She played tennis and ran on the track team. After graduating high school, she was accepted to Pennsylvania State University, majoring in integrative arts. She had a love for art, film, music, photography, and dancing. Between classes, Cindy worked two part-time jobs. She was set to graduate in the spring of 2002, but unfortunately, that never happened. She began to date Richard Che, and they moved into an off-campus apartment. In September of 2001, Richard ended their relationship abruptly, and he moved out. Friends said she was heartbroken, but was determined to move on. Cindy was able to find a new roommate, and Yun Jo, known to most as Catherine, moved in. On October 31st, she attended a Halloween party with two friends at the Players' Nightclub on College Avenue, dressed as a Playboy bunny. The group left the party at around 2 a.m. and headed to a friend's apartment to play video games. 
At 4 a.m., the friends dropped Cindy off at her apartment. That was the last time anyone saw her. When her friends had not heard or seen her for over three days, they reported her missing to the local police on November 4th. On the morning of November 5th, the police searched her apartment but found no signs of forced entry or a struggle. Police did find the backpack that she had with her at the party, her cell phone, and the false eyelashes that she wore with her costume. What was missing, though, were her keys, wallet, ID, and purse. Investigators did a search through her phone and saw that no calls were made after she was dropped off and there had been no activity on her credit cards. They read through her emails and saw nothing suspicious or out of the ordinary. She had concert tickets printed out and a receipt for a new computer that was being delivered soon, so police did not believe that she had ran away. Friends told police that it wasn't unusual for her to go to the grocery store across the street from her apartment late at night for snacks since it was open 24 hours. The police found no evidence on the video footage of her being there that evening. Another theory was that maybe someone she knew came to her door and she had intentions of leaving because the door was locked from the inside. The possibility of her being snatched was improbable. Detective Brian Sprinkle, the lead investigator at the time, interviewed all her friends and co-workers but there was nothing to indicate that anyone close to her was involved in her disappearance. Police and many volunteers searched the wooded area around the campus but found no trace. They also searched dumpsters, dog parks, and the woods surrounding her apartment. Police also used helicopters for aerial searches, but came up with nothing. Detective Sprinkle stated in an article, We had search parties out all the time looking for her in different areas, and it was a very frustrating case. Cindy's family traveled from South Korea to the United States after her disappearance. After the initial police search, they cleaned her apartment, which destroyed any physical evidence that might have been there. In an article on WeAreCentralPA.com, it states that Cindy's mother grew extremely concerned for her daughter and hired New York-based attorney Jen Han to represent them. They felt that the police were focusing too much on due process and too little on finding Cindy. With the support of multiple student organizations, they formed a group called the Coalition for the Search for Cindy's Song. A student from the group said in the article, If Cindy's going to be found, we need to create a buzz around here because someone could know some information about what happened to her. This place should be covered top to bottom with her face. The group held press conferences and accused police of negligence and racial bias. Her mother took a petition to the governor's office in Harrisburg with more than 15,000 signatures, demanding that state police take over the investigation. Several days after she was reported missing, police received a tip from a woman in Philadelphia claiming to have seen a woman matching Cindy's description. The witness stated that she was being forced into a car by an unidentified man who yelled at the witness to leave them alone. Police stated that the witness's story changed several times and they have been unable to verify any of her statements. This man is not a suspect in Cindy's case, but the police would like to still question him. 
Convicted bank robber Hugo Marcus Silinski was arrested and questioned in regards to Cindy's disappearance. An informant told the police that he and his accomplice, Michael Krakowski, had abducted a woman from State College that matched her description. The informant then led police to the location of five remains located on Hugo's property. DNA testing later determined that none of the remains were Cindy's. Hugo admitted to abducting her and they mistook her for a sex worker, but he claimed that Michael was the one who killed her. The police could not confirm or deny this because Michael was one of the bodies that was discovered buried on his property. Investigators have been unable to prove Hugo's involvement in Cindy's disappearance, but have not ruled him out as a suspect. Hugo was sentenced to life in prison in 2015 for the murders of Michael and his girlfriend Tammy Fassett. Several minority groups at the Pennsylvania State College have criticized law enforcement and university officials for the lack of progress in Cindy's case. Police have stated that they investigated every single lead in her disappearance, but there was minimal evidence. Twenty years later, her case remains unsolved. At the time of her disappearance, Cindy was wearing a Playboy bunny costume that consisted of a pink sleeveless shirt, rabbit ears, and a white tennis skirt with a cotton bunny tail brown knee-high boots, and a red knee-length hooded parka. She was between 5'1 and 5'3 and weighed roughly 110 to 130 pounds. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Hyun Jung Song, please contact the Ferguson Township Police Department. And that concludes tonight's episode. Stay tuned for this promo from my friend at the Stolen From Me by Lindsay podcast. Hello and welcome to Stolen From Me by Lindsay, a true crime weekly podcast and YouTube channel. I've covered such cases as Molly McLaren, Susan Kappa, and Gemma Hater. Each week we take a look at each individual case and try to bring as much awareness to it as possible. You can find me on all your favorite podcast platforms and YouTube at Stolen From Me by Lindsay. Thank you and see you all soon. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Murder Bucket, and I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at The Murder Bucket, on Facebook at Bucket Murd, and on Instagram at Murd Bucket. <laughs>